0: Hello friends, welcome to Running and Fitness with Raj. This show will bring you exciting and interesting guests and give you specific and actionable advice on your running, fitness, and general health. Our guest today is uh, Stephen Sashin, who is one of the fastest sprinters over 50 in the United States. He's a former all-American gymnast and the founder of Zero Shoes. Uh, Stephen is also a very passionate advocate of minimalist running, And absolutely delighted to have him on the podcast. So welcome to the podcast, Stephen.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Happy to be here.
0: Okay. So let's begin by you giving us a quick overview of your athletic background and then how th- everything led to you founding the Zero Shoes, I think if I'm not mistaken, back in 2009, right?
1: No, that's very good. You've done your homework. Yeah. So, uh, well, you already mentioned some of it. I mean, I start, I've been an athlete most of my life. I was a competitive diver when I was young. Um, I became a gymnast, was an all-American gymnast. Um, I stopped. I was a sprinter, pole vaulter, and long jumper in uh, high school. And I stopped doing almost all of that um, let's see actually, I kept doing gymnastics until I was thirty two and then I blew out my knee when tumbling. I landed and twisted at the same time and heard that sound come out of my knee and okay. I knew that was the end um, and then I spent the next fifteen years really looking for something that I could do enjoyably with my body and I tried all manner of things, um some circus arts like Chinese pole and trapeze um uh, competitive jump roping I mean just whatever I could find, and nothing really. Gelled. And then one day a friend of mine came in for breakfast um, with a bunch of other friends, and he had just won his first 5K race. And I said, um, Congratulations. You know, I love the idea of running, but I was never a runner. I was just a sprinter. And this is when I was about 45 years old. um, So 13 years ago or so. And he said, you know, there's a whole master's track and field circuit, like all the track events for older athletes. I said, no, I did not know this. And so he introduced me to a coach and I got back into sprinting when I was 45. Now for the next two years, I was getting injured pretty much constantly. And one day a friend of mine, who's a world champion cross country runner said, why don't you try running barefoot and see if you learn anything from doing that? Well, the short version is what I learned is why I was getting injured. It was a form problem that was disguised by my shoes. I couldn't tell that I had it when I was in regular shoes. And when running barefoot, it was very obvious um, what the problem was. Uh, for people who know this, what I was doing was overstriding. I was reaching my foot too far out in front of my body and then pointing my toes because sprinters supposed to land on the ball of your foot. But what that really meant is I was kind of of putting the brakes on every time I landed because my foot was in front of my body. And then I was landing on a part of my body that was not designed to absorb that kind of force, namely the ball of my foot, uh, that kind of force at that angle. And so my form naturally changed to something that was more. Natural. Okay. And my injuries went away. I became faster, as you may have mentioned, or you did mention, I'm a Masters All American sprinter. Um, I'm not actually one of the fastest guys over 50 anymore because now I'm over 55. I'm 58 right now. So I'm one of the fastest guys over 55. Oh, wow. um, and uh, anyway, that natural movement, that barefoot experience was so profound. I wanted to have it all the time. So I made a pair of sandals based on like a 10,000 year old design idea just with a sheet of rubber from a shoe repair place and some string from a, a hardware store. And I made those for myself and for a number of other runners. And more and more people kept asking for them. You know, it was one friend telling another until i had probably made 50 or 60 pairs, not very many, but someone who was one of the coaches of the local Barefoot Running Club said, I have a book coming out about Barefoot Running. And if you turn this sandal making hobby of yours into a business, if you had got a website, I'd put you in the book. So I rushed home and I pitched this incredible opportunity to my wife, who assured me that I was a complete idiot and it was a horrible idea. <laughs> it wouldn't make any money. And I and told me, please do not do this. And so I said, yeah, OK, you're right. And then after she went to bed, I built a website and, <laughs> uh, um, and it, we launched it about a week later, two weeks later. That was in late 2009, as you mentioned, and everything just took off from, I mean, day one. We thought, you know, maybe this would turn into a car payment at some point, but within six weeks, it was obvious this is our full-time job. And from the response we were getting, it was obvious we were doing something valuable for people um, above and beyond what we had ever imagined.
0: Oh, okay. So uh, that's now been around uh, twelve years uh, plus, I guess. Uh, Uh, eleven and change. Yeah, yeah, eleven and change. Okay. Now, first question is: uh, Does running shoes do anything to you? I mean, does it really help with your running form and uh, dynamics? Uh, Does it help in preventing injuries? Uh, A very basic question. It's
1: a really good question. Um, the short version is no, okay. <laughs> and the longer yeah. version is: it. They there's a lot of reasons to believe that running shoes actually cause many of the injuries that they claim to cure. Oh, so really, hey? let's let's start with a couple of things. Um, running injury rates have not decreased in the last 50 years, despite all the improvement quote improvements in technology. Which basically, if you look at modern athletic footwear, all those all, all that technology is just the same is different things to do the same thing, which is provide cushioning. Yes. And the research is very clear that cushioning does not actually cushion your body. In fact, the research shows that most cushioning actually increases the load through your joints. Modern athletic shoes, again, the fundamental technology that everyone's trying to use is some form of cushioning. And as I was saying, the that cushioning actually tends to lead to change. Well, let me back up a little bit. Every different shoe that someone puts on their foot tends to change the way they move tends to change their gait. this is research that was done by dr bill sands at uh, mesa Col- mesa what do they call it it was mesa state now it's i don't know some college in western colorado i'm blanking on the name mesa mesa man anyway it doesn't matter <laughs> this is going to make me crazy it'll pop into my head at some moment um colorado mesa university i don't know something like that anyway Um, He would take people and have them come in and videotape them at 500 frames a second uh, on a very large treadmill, like five feet by 10 feet. And in every different shoe they would wear or that they owned plus barefoot. And he found that 95% of those people ran better, had better form when they were barefoot without any training, without any experience, without any instruction, just because of the feedback that you get. Basically, running wrong hurts when you're in bare feet overstriding, landing on your heel, those hurt when you're in bare feet. So we try not to do things that hurt and we make natural adjustments. Now, for some runners, nationally and internationally ranked runners, they could put bricks on their feet and nothing changed. But for the average human being, everything changes. And things change over time because with a modern shoe where, where there's foam that breaks down and rubber that wears out and designs that don't let your foot move naturally they squeeze your toes together for example uh then as the shoe wears out that changes your gait as well so there's all these uh, irene davis is a doctor at harvard she has a, a wonderful image of a runner in his regular traditional running shoes where you can see when he lands when he was at mid stance that he was pronating severely his ankle was collapsing basically the foam on the shoe was collapsing as well and all she did was take him out of those shoes within the same running session and film him. And then suddenly all of that effect was gone. All the pronation was gone. Okay. All of the, the the inversion was gone. Then she put him in a pair of truly minimalist shoes and nothing changed. It was just like when he was barefoot. So again, the, the idea of cushioning sounds good in our head because sitting on a soft mattress or sitting on a soft chair, or lying on a soft mattress feels good. But the analogy we like to give is, If you were going to drop onto the floor and do 20 push ups, you wouldn't do that on a soft mattress. You would do that on hard ground. Absolutely. It gives you the most feedback, the most force production. Well, ironically, it's the same thing when you're running. You want that force feedback from the ground because that's what inspires you to use your muscles and ligaments and tendons correctly as the natural springs and shock absorbers they're meant to be, which protects your joints. Uh, Dr. Isabel Sacco in Brazil put some minimalist footwear on elderly women and for many of them, their knee osteoarthritis went away because they were no wow. longer putting force through their joints into their knee, which was causing the knee osteoarthritis to begin with. So to your point about injuries, uh, the last thing I'll say is um, there's two points. One is there is no definitive study that proves that running barefoot or in a truly minimalist shoe or a natural movement shoe, which is really the way we like to frame it, um, uh, reduces injury. And that's simply because to do that kind of study would be very time-consuming and very costly. And the companies that would benefit from it, companies like mine, Zero Shoes, or the handful of other companies that are doing minimalist footwear, we don't have that kind of cash. Okay. And the large shoe companies, they know what the results would be, uh, so they don't they fund also those studies. They don't have
0: an incentive, yeah.
1: They totally don't have an incentive. Now, let's look at a study from Nike on a shoe that they released last year, the React Infinity Run, and a study that they released that said – it reduced injuries by 52% compared to other shoes. Well, the other shoe was their best-selling motion control padded arch-supporting shoe, the structure, Zoom Structure. And it's true. The new shoe, the React Infinity, did reduce injuries by 51.5% over the Zoom Structure in a 12-week study. Well, percentages can be misleading. So the reality is, in the Zoom Structure, Almost 30% of the runners, or a little over 30% of the runners in that shoe got injured within 12 weeks. In the React Infinity, only about 15% got injured. So let me fr- say that a little differently. I'd like to buy you dinner every night this week, and you have a choice between two restaurants. One where you'll get food poisoning twice on average, and one where you'll only get it you know, about once. Which do you want to go to? Uh, neither. <laughs> Right. So that's, I mean, if you look at the total number of injuries in the study that Nike has supported or sponsored and designed and paid for, um, over 22% got injured in 12 weeks. And they're saying that this is somehow good. I mean, it raises <laughs> a question why are you selling any other shoe if this one's so much better? And why do you think it's a little better? And this is where it gets interesting. They say that it, the injury rate was reduced. By removing or reducing some of the protective features of the Zoom. Well, what we would say, those of us who are hip to natural movement and truly minimalist footwear and, uh, and running, is, well, we just get rid of all of them. We get rid of all the protective stuff other than protecting your foot from abrasion and, you know, things that you could step on or step in. But fundamentally footwear for the first 9,950 years of the last 10,000 years that we know humans have been wearing footwear, it was just something to protect your foot and something to hold that protection on your foot. That's all you needed. And our experience and the experience we've had with hundreds of thousands of people now is the same. If you just let your body do what's natural, let your foot bend and flex and move and feel, then um, that is good for you. Because if you don't let your foot do its job, all that function tries unsuccessfully to go upstream to your ankle, your knee, your hip, your back. So our goal is to let feet do their job so the rest of your body can do its job. And while the, the results are observational or anecdotal, when you look at the reviews on our website, the number of people who say things like this changed my life is really, really high and not the kind of thing that you hear from people in big, thick, padded, traditional footwear.
0: Yeah, I also go back a little bit to childhood, like when we were growing up. You know, uh, you know, we used to have these uh, very thin sho, thin sole shoes from a Indian company called Bata, which is uh, which we used to call, uh, you know, uh, canvas shoes. We used to call them. You can still get them. I mean, you know, they're literally a, a piece of canvas and uh, you know some sort of a protection, zero cushioning. And uh, you know, we used to run around, run, run around in that, and all. You know all it used to protect is really some sharp stones or some, you know, broken place or glass or something like that. And, uh, you know, it, it reminded me of that when you were talking, uh, talking about.
1: No, it, it's something that I like to, I like to say is, you know, think back to when you were a kid and you walked outside on a warm summer day and you could feel the grass between your toes or the sand under your feet and, or the, just even the dirt you might've been playing in and just how good that felt. And you can have that now, anytime, anywhere. It's not a problem. I was speaking to, um, Um, a world champion boxer the other day who grew up in Jamaica, and he asked me, you know, what about support? Do you need support in your shoes? And I said to him, when you were growing up in Jamaica, how much time did you spend barefoot? He goes, all the time. I said, did you have any foot problems? Did you need support? He goes, no. I said, yeah, that's what we do here.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So just uh, elaborate a little more on, as you call it, minimalist, uh, the natural movement, I mean, natural movement, running, or what exactly do you mean by that?
1: Well, I'm making the distinction for two reasons. One is that the big shoe companies when... So back in 2009, 2010, the whole idea of running barefoot started getting a lot of attention. And the big shoe companies were frankly terrified that people were going to stop buying shoes for the rest of their lives. So they made shoes that they called minimalist shoes that were nothing of the sort. In fact, they were just slightly dumbed down version of what they had already been doing. So Dr. Irene Davis at Harvard, again, she did research showing that what she calls partial minimalist shoes are actually worse for you than anything else you could do because they, they have enough cushioning to cut off the feedback that you're supposed to get. So, you know, a quarter of the, sorry, um, you have more nerve endings in the soles of your feet than anywhere but your fingertips and your lips. That means your feet are giving information to your brain about how to move your entire body. If you can't feel that numb feet are dumb feet, you know, you're not getting the information you need for balance and mobility and agility. Sure. So the partial minimalist shoes we're cutting off too much feedback and allowing people to move in a way that isn't the way we would without shoes or naturally. Um, and that's what was causing a number of problems. It seems so. So when I, I like to say natural movement shoes, simply because that's what this is all about. It's not about the footwear. It's about the form. It's about having your body do what's normal. Again, using your muscles, ligaments, and tendons as the natural springs and shock absorbers they're meant to be more specifically what it means is that when you're running or walking you're landing with your foot close to or almost underneath your center of mass like underneath your body instead of far out in front of your body and using your frankly your butt and your hamstrings they're called prime movers they're designed to move you forward and the only way you can do that um, i'm, I'm going to get a little technical both of those muscles when it comes to walking and running are most important for hip extension. Basically, having your your heel going behind you. Imagine having a soccer ball, a foot behind you, and you want to kick it with your heel. That's hip extension. That's what if you, instead of kicking the ball, if that foot was on the ground, but you try to make that same motion, that would propel you forward. Okay. So natural natural movement uh, is about landing with your foot more underneath your center of mass, using your muscles, ligaments, and tendons correctly, reducing. uh, There's a a thing that happens when you land on your heel. There's an immediate spike of force that you can see if you look on a force plate that when you're walking more naturally, that immediate spike disappears. Okay. And There's a lot of theories that that initial spike is what causes all the problems because it happens so quickly, you literally can't react to it other than by trying to absorb all that force with Whatever is absorbing the force, which in this case, uh, when you're landing on your heel with an outstretched leg is your joints, which is not good. So uh, so natural movement is the other distinction is that you can have a minimalist shoe, a really thin-soled shoe that interferes with natural movement. One example is if the toe box is narrow enough that it squeezes your toes together. Your toes aren't supposed to be squeezed together they're supposed to be able to spread and flex and move and wiggle and if your shoes don't let you do that that interferes with natural movement as well there's you can also have a minimalist shoe that weighs too much and so you want something really lightweight so it's not interfering with your gait by weighing down your leg um so that's those are some of the other components oh and there's one other um again actually two others. Um, one is you want something flexible. So you can have a, quote, minimalist shoe that's still too stiff. Your foot is supposed to bend. And if the sole isn't able to basically roll up or twist in every direction, you're you're interfering with your foot's natural motion. Um, it's, oh, you can have a, quote, minimalist shoe that still elevates your heel. That's not good. You want something flat the same way you'd be if you were barefoot on the floor. And again, you want to have um, a shoe that let the sole gives you the protection you want, but also is still able to transmit information from the ground into your foot and therefore into your brain. So some of those some shoes that are sold as minimalist uh, have either soles that are too thick or too something that interferes with getting that ground feedback. So natural movement is letting your toes spread, not elevating your heel, which messes with your posture, letting your foot flex, uh, having enough. Um, feedback from the ground that you're getting proper information to control the rest of your body and being lightweight, so it's not interfering with natural motion.
0: Okay, no, that's a great explanation. So, my then my follow-up question is this, Stephen, which is that um, as you mentioned, till 50 years back or so, we never had this. So, what? Mm-hmm. What? And and natural uh, movement has so many advantages, as you just explained. Uh, what <laughs> has led yeah. to uh, mo- mo- most of the large mainstream shoe companies, literally, mm. you know, stacking Money. their shoes more and more. I mean, if you look at the Money. latest uh, latest shoe that uh, the world record was set in again. by Eliot Kipchoge and uh, oh, uh, they don't oh know,
1: my god, all right, let's, talk, let's talk about that. that. So, okay, I mean, they right. so, look
0: like beasts on your foot, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's let's talk about that. So what happened? Here, here's a story people don't know. Most people don't know. When Nike was just getting started, they were sharing a building with some. I think they were sports podiatrists. They may have been orthopedic podiatrists, so don't hold me to that one. Um, and Bill Bowerman from Nike came down one day and said, "I'm getting runners who are getting Achilles tendonitis. What do you recommend?" And the doctors said, "Well, clearly their Achilles tendon have shortened from wearing higher heeled dress shoes. So put a wedge of foam in there to make a higher heeled running shoe, and that will help them." And so that's what they did. Um, let me cut to the end of the story. Thirty years later, one of those doctors was at a track meet with a friend of mine. And my friend asked him, so, you know, your design idea has become the design of all modern athletic shoes because shoe companies just steal ideas from each other. If something looks like it's going to sell, then everyone tries to do it because they're afraid they'll never make money again. He says, so, you know, your shoe, that design is everywhere. What do you think? And the doctor said, it was the biggest mistake we ever made. Wow. We made it up. You know, we were seeing everything. We were making a lot of prosthetics. We saw everything as needing a prosthetic solution, but we had no evidence For this idea of Achilles shortening or the benefit of putting in a, or the problem that would be created when you add a wedge heel. So once that became sort of common because every shoe company was doing it in the early seventies, there was just no way around it. They sold the story that you need cushioning, you need elevated heels, you need arch support, you need motion control. None of which is true, uh, and everyone started doing it. so again, the only advances that have that have happened in the last fifty years is different versions of all those same things that have never been proven to work so the super high show el elchoog L- issue is a case study in p r and marketing and media manipulation and propaganda. so let's start with the fact that Nike advertises the shoe by saying it makes you 4% faster. Yep. Yep. Well, that research came from a lab here in Colorado, from a guy named Roger Krom, who showed that what actually happened is you your VO2 max, the way you uh, can uh, uptake oxygen, is improved by 4% on average by people wearing that shoe. And he said, it doesn't make you run faster, it just improves your VO2 max, possibly because you're not having to use your muscles as much which is has you know okay maybe maybe that's good maybe that's not good yep. hard to say yep. probably not yep. but suffice it to say he never said makes you run faster nike turned it into four percent improvement equals running faster now again when you say say something like that to competitive runners you know having a half of a percent improvement could be the difference between a gold medal absolutely. and no one knowing who no, you absolutely. are so once some runners start to wear something, then everyone else is going to try and do the same thing because they don't want to lose their edge. And running, there's a lot of placebo effect in distance running in particular. If you think you're going to do better, you can do better. There's a there's a, a doctor out of South Africa who has a theory called the central governor theory, which is the brain is content. Tim Tim Knox. Yes. Thank you. Um, Tim has some other ideas as well that I don't agree with, but let's go with central (laughs) governor for now. So, But Tim, I mean, mostly about diet, but anyway. um, So the central governor theory for people who don't know is basically your brain is constantly trying to keep you from doing things that might hurt yourself. And um, what you're doing is a certain kind of, certain kind of athletes what you're doing is learning to hear those signals and frankly just not pay attention to them so if you think you're going to run faster in some new shoe that could change the way you relate to these signals from the central governor and you might just you know push harder move a little faster something now there's a more interesting theory that hasn't been tested yet from a friend of mine named Jeffrey Gray who has a company called Helux that evaluates shoes he thinks that those shoes are really lightweight So they're not going to affect your gait. They're not going to slow you down, slow down your your cadence, how many steps per minute you're taking, but they're also so high that maybe you're getting a longer stride length because of the height of the shoe with the same stride frequency. So if you're covering more distance with the same stride frequency, you might run faster. So that might be what the effect is. Now, those shoes wear out in no time. I mean, The the one from Brooks, I think they say you need to replace it after 100 to 150 miles. So that's
0: That's, practically nothing. That's a very expensive proposition for most recreational runners, at least.
1: Very expensive. There's a consultant that I know. I won't mention his name because it'll get him in trouble, who says um, the runners who are using that shoe, they use it for maybe one training run before a race. They use it for a race. Then they're replacing them. And he says, I'm also seeing very much higher injury rates because the shoes are so high. They're unstable, especially because the foam is unstable. But let's back up to Kipchoge, because that's the thing that Nike really used to promote the shoe. He set this record of running a sub-two-hour marathon. Well, if it improves runners by 4%, then Kipchoge should have seen a 4% improvement. But he didn't. His Boston Marathon time was two hours, two hours one minute, 38 seconds.
0: Berlin. Uh, sorry. It's Berlin, actually. Sorry? It, it was in Berlin.
1: Yes, in Berlin. sorry. Yeah, yeah. and um and in the in the sub two hour run, under perfect conditions on a flat course, basically just running in a straight line with a small you know u-turn, having pacers that are keeping him on pace and that um, he's drafting against, he only ran forty seconds faster. Yeah. So that's that's four point five eight seconds per mile faster under perfect conditions. And even Kipchoge in a recent interview said, it wasn't the shoes, it was me and my legs. So massive, massive misappropriation of reality to sell this idea to people who have been trained. You know, Do you, do you know the story of the boy who cried wolf? Do you know that yeah, one? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, of course.
1: Okay. Well, in footwear, it's kind of like the shoe company that cried cushioning because every year – Some company comes out with some new form of cushioning or motion control or arch support or whatever. And they say, This is going to make you better. And people run to that pun intended, run to that new product, despite the fact that there's no evidence that it really delivers those results. And unlike the boy who cried wolf, where the villagers eventually get smart and stop running to find out what's going on, in the shoe world, people keep doing it every year. They keep going to the new thing and it just hasn't been demonstrated to be effective. So, um, it, to answer your question, again, the, the, there's no evidence that those new things actually reduce injury in a appreciable way. There's no evidence. In fact, Roger Crom, who was the guy who was studying this shoe first, after he saw the VO2 max improvement, his next study was to try to figure out why. And he couldn't figure it out. I mean, it was just a theory that less muscle activation might be the thing that's beneficial. But but there's all this information that like gets contradictory. So Nike says that shoe is made with a rocker bottom to make the transition from landing on your heel to your toe better. But then you look at Kipchoge and the the runners, and and certainly for the beginning of the marathon, that world record marathon, and I don't remember if it was true at the very end, they were all running on their landing on their midfoot. They never touched the heel. Okay. <laughs> so the rocker bottom had no use. In fact, there's a guy who's um, selling those shoes after sanding off the heel. It's like you don't need the heel. So let's just get rid of the heel. We'll get rid of some more weight and that'll be even better. Um, So that's an interesting thing to look at. There are some um, quote unquote footwear experts who say, oh, well, it's because there's a carbon fiber plate in that shoe that acts as a spring or a lever. Well, no. If you know anything about physics, that makes no sense. So a lever requires a fixed point and then a fulcrum. Think diving board. It's fixed at one end. There's a fulcrum in the middle, and then the springy part at the end. Well, there's no fixed point on the carbon fiber in the shoe. It doesn't work that way. So it can't be acting as a, as a lever, nor can it be acting as a spring. People say, well, the Harvard, uh, the indoor track at Harvard makes people faster because it acts like a trampoline, and this shoe is designed to work like that. Okay. Well, again, I'm an all-American gymnast, so trampolines only work because you're putting force into them with your legs, and they're supported outside of where your foot lands far enough outside that where how your foot lands and where your how your foot moves is irrelevant uh, and the harvard track is the same basic idea it's a trampoline and the math on it is very cool it says that the spring in the floor just the flex and how it springs back has to be slightly springier than the spring of the athlete And what that really means is that if you're a 800 meter runner who weighs about 135 pounds and it's running about a 150 or less 800, you'll run faster on that little trampoline track in Harvard. But if you're any heavier any slower or faster, it won't have that same effect. It's tuned to a particular weight and frequency and speed. So same thing. This shoe can't act like a trampoline because there's no fixed points on the outside edges that are that are allowing it to spring and then spring back. And if it does provide any spring at all, which I'm not confident that it does, it would only work if you are the right weight, the right frequency, the right, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So again, it's just, there's nothing I find more annoying (laughs) than people who misuse physics to lie to people they want money from. And I would argue that that is what's happening in this case.
0: Before moving on, I wanted to request uh, all the listeners to please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or iTunes. It will only take you a couple of minutes, but it will help the show enormously and help other listeners to discover the show. So please do take a couple of moments to go and leave a rating and review on either Apple Podcasts or iTunes. If you are using another app which allows you to leave a comment or a rating or review, like for example, CastBox, please do that either. We also request you to please check out the website runfitraj.com. And also if you have any comments or suggestions, to please write to me directly at runningandfitnesswithraj at gmail.com. You can follow all podcast-related updates on Instagram at the handle Running and Fitness with Raj or on Facebook on the Facebook group Running and Fitness with Raj. Now let's get back to the show. Okay. So, okay, we have gone through a generation or maybe a couple of generations of this uh, companies stacking more and more. But at the same time, it is also fair to say that thanks to efforts uh, by companies and advocates like yourself, there is a lot more interest you know uh, today around the world not not just in the us with regard to minimalist uh, running itself i mean i'm sure that yes. you know it everything started with born to run in way back in 2008 or 9 when the book came out yeah. but it's it's now becoming at least people are adopting it people are trying it out uh, so why wouldn't uh, these large shoe companies make a transition or at least have in their product range uh, more True minimalist shoes, not the one which yeah. is called minimalist.
1: So, imagine you were op- that you've been running a restaurant that sells nothing but meat. Okay, and then you decide to bring in nothing but you bring you bring in a bunch of vegan options and vegetarian options. Now, before you were telling people meat is all good for you, and now you're telling people that you know meat is not necessarily good for you. How can you run that restaurant with two completely conflicting stories? You can't. So this is the same problem that shoe companies ran into when the minimalist and barefoot things started to take off. Again, they made quote minimalist shoes that were not truly minimalist because they, first of all, many of them know I've had the CEOs of two multi-billion dollar footwear companies say directly to a friend of mine. So I didn't hear it directly because they wouldn't say it to my face. Actually, one of them did, um, that what we're doing at zero shoes is real. It's right. There's a lot of history for it. There was people who've won, you know. I mean, almost any mile racer or shorter is running essentially in a minimalist shoe. Sure. So this is not news. They said what we're doing is right. They just can't do it because it would be admitting that everything else they've been saying is a lie.
0: Okay. F- fair enough. So, so how do you, uh, how, do, how do you, you know,
1: how do you spend fifty years telling people you need cushioning, motion, it all in our support, and then suddenly tell them, eh, sorry, yeah, you don't. And tell both of those stories at the same time. It causes confusion.
0: Okay, fair enough. Uh, So uh, next question is, okay, are all
1: zero... Sorry, I've got to interrupt and tell you something funny. You know, the smartest thing one of those shoe companies could do would be to acquire us and let us keep doing what we're doing and put me on tour with some of their engineers to talk about footwear design and function and injuries and performance in a debate format. And there's two reasons for this. One is that when I've been involved in those uh, conversations, they attract a lot of attention. So we, and then if some bigger company owns both the company making big padded shoes and a company doing the exact opposite, then they're going to get more customers for both products because 20% of the people on either end of that debate are never going to change their mind, but you want that 60% in the middle. What are you going to do with them? And I think that we can get the majority of them. Um, But if we don't, you know, if some company benefits from either person's uh, response or from the response, from either response from a person, you know, that's good for all of us. And that would be the smart move. It would take a company that really has strong ego strength (laughs) to do that, because in that debate, um, I would make all those engineers look like idiots.
0: Okay. So uh, what I was going to ask you is, so are all zero, zero drop or Minimalist uh, shoes uh, created equal, and uh, no. uh, follow-up question to that is: What are the distinct advantages of your shoes, the zero shoes,
1: over, yeah. over um, other
0: companies who are making minimalist uh, minimalist shoes? I'm sure you have some competitors. Yeah.
1: Yes, uh, happily, you know we you want competition. Some of the competition is from people who've just taken my ideas and are just using my ideas, um, and which is fine with me because the more awareness, the better. So. The answer to the first part of the question is no, is all zero drop shoes and all minimal shoes are not the same. You can have a zero drop shoe, which means your heel's at the same level of the ball of your foot, but still have a whole bunch of padding.
0: Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And the padding
1: is the thing that gets that gets that's what, what gets in the way, A, of getting that information to your brain about how to move effectively. And B, the more padding you have, the less flexible the shoe becomes. So that's thing one. But now let's talk about shoes that are equally minimalist in terms of thin flat soles. Well, you can still have, I've seen, um, maybe five or six companies in the last two years come out with quote, barefoot shoes that are way too narrow. They squeeze your toes together. Okay. That, um, and, and that's problematic. Uh, in fact, even before that Merrill, their trail glove, they used to call me on a regular basis. Hey, we have a new barefoot shoe. Do you want to try it? And I would say, I can't get my feet in them. They're too narrow. And, well, do you want them? I said, well, but I can't wear it. So said, well, do you want it? So if you gave it to me, I would just sell it on eBay. They'd say, Well, <laughs> do you want it? Yeah, okay, sure. So they kept sending me shoes. I kept selling them on eBay. Um, so that's one thing is, again, you can have a design where one part, the low to the ground and um, flat, is good, but then the other part, uh, how it holds your foot, is not good. And for our shoes, what makes us unique is that we have a wide foot shaped toe box. Low to the ground for balance and agility. We don't elevate the heel; that messes with your posture. We don't have a thing called toe spring that can mess with your gait as well. They're really, really lightweight. I've seen a number of quote barefoot shoes that weigh twice as much as ours. That makes no sense. The soles are designed to give you good traction and feedback, and also they're durable. They have a five thousand mile sole warranty, wow, okay. and they're also and they're affordable. And so that's one of the other distinctions between us and some other companies. We have products that are sometimes 50% less expensive um, than other companies. And we have also the biggest difference between us and some other companies is the variety of products we have. We have, I'm looking on my wall, we have one, two, three, four, five, six, I think seven different kinds of sandals. And we're really the only company doing a lot of that. Then we have casual and performance boots and shoes for men and women for almost any activity for just casual use, night on the town, running ultra marathons and everything in between. So the variety of the products, the durability, the affordability, the design, that's what makes us unique. There's also actually, I realize some design elements in our shoes that are unique to us. Um, So for example, in most of our shoes, there's a strap that holds your instep in place. That's not sewn down. Basically it's not attached to the outside of the shoe. It gives you independent tensioning that lets you get a secure fit. While letting your toes relax more, and similarly, there's a heel strap system that I designed that lets you get a little extra secure feeling around your heel and your ankle, uh, even in a low top shoe. So that's another thing. Those are those are unique to us. Um, although recently Nike put out a sent out a um, a photo of a shoe that has the heel strap not only does it look exactly like ours, it's using the exact same material that I use. So we're having some interesting conversations with our attorneys about that.
0: Okay. So what, what do the, I mean, just out of curiosity, what do the sandals do? I mean, like, I mean, are they more recovery or you can actually run, race? Uh, sorry. I mean, I, I haven't used it. That, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's why I'm asking.
1: Um, you know, when people, when, for people who have, who are fine in their existing shoes, I go, great. If you're fine, stay with what you like. But yes, like you said, after you get out of your shoes, if you've run a race and you feel like you need to recover, well, my first question is, why do you need to recover? What do you do that's causing you to have to recover? Fair enough. If- maybe that's maybe that's the important question to ask. Um, because because we have runners who run way, way further than any of those people who need to recover in all of our shoes. And they don't need to recover when they're done. We had a couple who, to answer your question, can you run in sandals? Well, first of all, that's what human beings did for almost 10, at least 10,000 years. So yes, you can. The Tarahumara Indians still do. So yes, you can. There's no reason that if that you can't do what every other human has done for millennia. Um, But we had a couple who did a seven day race across Madagascar in some of our thinnest sandals. And at the end of the race, all the other runners, their toenails had come off. They had ripped skin off their feet because they had run through water and then they were running on dry things and it was, you know, interfering with their skin. Pardon me. Um, And, Uh, At the end of the race, you know, they were turning to people saying, does anybody want to go for another 20K run today? (laughs) No, no, not at all. So, yes, you can, but I'm not saying that you have to. And to your point about recovery or the, the thing we know is active recovery is the most important thing getting keeping movement happening keeping circulation happening happening and our sandals are perfect for that because they're so lightweight and flexible that they let your feet move naturally and get give you that active recovery now you may just discover that while you're once you get so comfortable or so you're so comfortable and you're wearing them or they're so comfortable I don't know why I couldn't say that it's a friday i can't talk well um that, you know, you might just find yourself having to run from your car to, you know, the front door of a store in, your, in the sandals. And then suddenly you realize, huh, I, I was able to run in those. And maybe you'll find that, you know, you want to do a race in those. And the next thing you know, you could be running in sandals. I'm not saying you have to. I'm just saying that thousands and thousands and thousands of people have enjoyably, safely, successfully, often setting personal bests. So, you know, if you want to go that road, there's uh, a lot of humans who will cheer you on because they've already done it.
0: Wow. Okay, uh, that's uh, that's something I should uh, check out as and when I get an opportunity sure. the first time. So, uh, okay, now let's say somebody is uh, you know somebody like me, for example, looking to transition to a really natural natural movement or bare, you know barefoot or minimalist running, which whatever term one wants to use, it's a transition process. So we are today using shoes. To so, what advice would you would you give uh, them? I mean, how to, how to go about that,
1: how to, how to make that transition. So the first thing is if you've been wearing a high heeled shoe, it seems logical that you would just slowly go to lower, 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 but that's actually not the best choice because the evidence is that that slow transition doesn't actually do anything. What you want to do is go down to like barefoot or in shoes like ours and just start slowly, just build up the amount of time and distance very slowly. So the advice that I give, um, for, and, and, the transition will be different for different people. There's no fixed amount of time. There's a. It, it really depends on your brain and your body, how connected those two things are. Some people, um, well, here, I'll give you the instruction for how to make the transition. Find a nice, smooth, hard surface, flat, hard surface, because you're going to get the most feedback from that. Um, like if you're running on grass, there could be things in the grass that you don't want to step in or on that you can't see. It could be uneven terrain. And it's also... Some uh, grass is just like you've taken the cushion out of your shoe and just put it on the ground. So, you don't want that. You want a smooth, hard surface. You want to take off your shoes and run barefoot if you can or in something like Zero Shoes is the the next best idea. And you want to go for a really, really short run, like 20 seconds. Okay. And and then you want to see how you feel the next day. If you feel good, then great. Next time, go out and do 30 seconds. And then just keep adding a little bit of time each time. If you feel sore – There's two kinds of soreness. One is that you used your muscles a little too much. And so if you did that, wait till you feel better and then go out and just try to use less energy, just rest a little more, relax a little more and wait until you can do that 20 second run without being sore the next day or two days later, and then start adding to that. And I'll give you now the third one is you may um, be sore and it feels like you kind of did something wrong. Well, for that group definitely, and also for the muscle soreness group, um, here's some tips on what you want to do. Basically, you want to do something different till you're having fun. You want to do something different till it doesn't hurt and you're having a good time. Now, for some people, they can't tell what doing something different means. They don't have you know good proprioceptive skills. They're not aware of where their body is in space, even though they think they may be. So you know video feedback is helpful to see what you might be doing. But the biggest thing is just these basic ideas. Don't reach out with your foot don't if you're going to land on the ball of your foot or your midfoot you don't do that by pointing your toes you do that by having your foot land underneath your body Yep. so you might need to lean forward just a tiny bit and keep your body straight keeping your core engaged so imagine you're standing up straight and just leaning forward from your ankles you know that's the idea of how you're going to land with your feet underneath you because you can't land on your heel when your foot is landing underneath you so that's one thought is you want to um, get your foot underneath you. Um, for people who know the, the Flintstones cartoon, I say, think about Fred Flintstone starting his car. His feet are spinning behind him and they can't catch up to him. That's kind of the the idea. Or another a, another image is imagine that your feet are on a wheel and the wheel is just like barely touching the ground at one point at the very bottom. So an image to use in your mind is that you want to lift your foot off the ground before it even touches the ground. Yep. So you're just picking, you know, you're just reducing the amount of time your foot is on the ground. Another way of doing that is by increasing the steps per minute, your cadence by just a little bit. There's no magic number for what, how many steps per minute you should take. But if you just increase it a little bit, that can be helpful because when you're taking, and it'll feel uncomfortable at first because you're used to doing something different, but that's okay. Um, But it's hard to overstride when you pick up your cadence a little bit. So another thought is that, you want to think about lifting your foot off the ground instead of pushing your foot off the ground. Yeah. So yeah. pushing your foot off the ground is overusing your calf, but lifting your foot off the ground is not is relaxing your calf. So the image I give is if you step on a bee, you're not going to push into the ground to get off the bee because that'll drive the stinger into your foot. You're going to reflexively bend your hip and that'll lift your foot off the ground. So use that as an image for how you want to get off the ground by lifting your foot so you don't step on the bee. And all of these are just cues to shortcut the process that will happen naturally if you just pay attention and try to, if it hurts doing something different till it doesn't. Um, and But this is all designed to shortcut that process. And then again, just pick up the amount of time and distance in a single run. And then over time, you can start integrating more of those runs into your weekly regimen.
0: Okay. So uh, one of the things which I have heard, I mean, I've personally not experienced it, but then I'm, I'm relatively new to, uh, barefoot, uh, barefoot running is some people complaining that either their calf gets a bit, a bit, uh, a bit sore or their sore. is are yep. a bit sore or both. Uh, I mean, is, is that, is, is that optional? It, it, oh, it's optional. optional. Okay, fine. Okay.
1: Yeah. Okay. So look, sore, soreness comes, here's the thing. Sometimes people are just doing too much too soon. Okay. You know, you're using muscles differently. You would never go to the gym for the first time and do eight hours of bicep curls. Yep. So, you know, you don't want to do your first run and just go out for a really long run because you're not used to using your muscles this way. So that's part of it. But that doesn't mean that it's all about getting stronger. Often people are getting sore because they're just using their muscles more than is necessary so that's the the thought of you know what can you do to relax even more what can you do to use less effort and that's like lifting your foot off the ground is one way of doing that one way that people get sore is if they think they're supposed to land on their toes um, which you kind of are Um, if they do reach out their foot in front of their body and then point their toes they're going to be putting excessive eccentric strain on the calf because they're using the calf to try to slow them down when they're applying about 600 pounds of force under the ground at that moment so the only two ways you get calf soreness is by eccentrically loading um, or by concentrically pushing off too much. And so you just want to look for ways to do less of those things. It, it's totally doable to transition without calf soreness. But the problem with doing too much too soon is you don't know you did too much too soon till you do too much too soon. So And look, calf soreness, it's not the end of the world. It'll go away. Oh. You'll get better. It takes time to learn something new deal with it. Um, you know, my first my first barefoot run, I ended up with a giant blister on the ball of my left foot. And many people that I've learned, if that had happened, they'd say, oh, see, this is horrible. I got a blister. My first thought was, how come my right foot is fine? What's my right foot doing correctly that my left foot is clearly doing incorrectly? And I went out for my second barefoot run with this gaping hole in the bottom of my foot thinking, if I can find a way to run that doesn't hurt, then I'm probably not doing the thing that caused the blister and the gaping hole to begin with. So, you know, let's give it 10 minutes, see what happens. Nine minutes and 30 seconds of agony later, (laughs) I was just about to give up. And then the next stride, everything changed. And what changed was that I stopped overstriding and pointing my toes. My core got a little more engaged, so I wasn't just a loose spring. I was more of a taut spring and I was using my muscles, ligaments and tendons correctly. I wasn't landing in a way that was putting unnecessary friction, unnecessary horizontal force on the ball of my foot. And instantly my running was lighter, easier, my breathing relaxed. Everything was more fun. And that was my touchstone from that point forward, just like going for that feeling. And I'm very adept at learning new skills. So it only took me a couple of weeks, like two weeks until I never went back to doing it wrong.
0: Okay, so I, I know that you sell your product obviously in the U.S., and I think you you, may, you have, I have heard you mentioning that you sell it in Europe through you know through some dealers. What are the plans for Asia, India? I mean, do you have any plans to come to this part of the world? Because I mean, I will. We you, do. I mean, uh, the, the reality is also that if you look at running on endurance sports, this is uh, today the fastest growing region in the world. I know. some distance, so.
1: Yeah. um, The answer is yes. We're expanding worldwide as quickly as we can. Um, We do not have tens and tens of millions of dollars behind us to be able to lose money in the process. We have to be able to make money as we're doing it. And so we have new distributors and dealers who are coming on board in most of the Asian and Southeast Asian countries. The challenge with some is uh, finding a partner where we can do this in a way that's profitable for everybody and affordable for the customer. And so we're still exploring a lot of different options for how to do that best. And unfortunately, people imagine that it's really easy. You just start selling in some new country, but it's not that simple. There's trademark issues and patent issues and legal issues and employment issues. And uh, everything takes longer than I would like. I would love to be able to do things immediately, but that's just not how reality works. So... Right now, we do sell and ship to all over the world. We've had problems, honestly, shipping to India because a lot of the packages that we sent weren't arriving. So, for people who are using like third party courier services, I, mean, I can't think of the names where some, you know, we would ship to a, an address in America and they bundle everything together and then they ship it directly. Um, there are services like that. So, there are ways around dealing with the postal service, but there are a number of countries that we've just had horrible luck with packages not arriving um uh, Mexico is one India is one there are a few others and so we're one of the biggest reasons that we're looking for um, additional distribution is to be able to get things onto people's feet so one thing we recommend if we're not selling in your country whatever country you happen to be in then go to our website at zeroshoes.com x e r o shoes.com and in the upper right is a link that says store locator and there may be a dealer or a distributor in a nearby country that has better luck than we do getting things to you at a better price and faster as well.
0: Okay, sure. So, um, that's, that's great to, that's great to hear. Uh, so thank you so much, Stephen, for your, um, time. We, <clears throat> we went through a lot of questions or at least all the, all the questions that, um, I had, uh, you know, jotted down. Um, so any, any concluding remarks for the listeners from your side?
1: Other than this simple thing, If your feet don't feel better at the end of the day than they did at the beginning of the day, it's not because there's something wrong with you. It's because not because of what big shoe companies have told you. It's not because you pronate or you need arch support or motion control or padding or cushioning. It's just because you haven't been letting your feet do what's natural, and that's what we're here to help people do. And the the end result of this can be life changing, and and life affirming, and life continuing. So, for example if your brain isn't getting information from your feet about how to use your body, you might do something like what my father did six years ago. He had very bad balance. He f- tripped, fell down, broke his hip, and was dead two weeks later. Now, I'm not saying if you don't switch to our shoes, you're going to die. <laughs> but I am suggesting that if you just think about it logically, you know human bodies are made to move in a particular way. And no one has found that getting in interfering with that actually causes improvements. So if you think that Letting your body do what's natural. There's research that shows that just walking in shoes like ours builds foot muscle strength. There's research showing that just adding arch support into a shoe decreases foot muscle size and strength even faster. Uh, so there's a lot of reasons that it makes sense to give this a shot, whether you're and and you don't have to, you don't have to replace all your shoes with every and everything you do with shoes like ours. Like you said, you can use our products for active recovery, um, or you can use them for one specific use case. But the more you can keep your feet strong and flexible and responsive, the better. And we're here to help people do that. Or as we like to say, we just want to help people live life feet first.
0: Great. Thanks a lot for that, um, Stephen. So I will include in my show notes the links to your website, uh, some of your uh, you know, some of your YouTube uh, YouTube videos and all of that. So thank you very much for your time. I really, really appreciate it.
1: My pleasure. This was a ton of fun.
0: Yeah, thanks. Thank you very much to all the listeners. Please check out the podcast website, runfitraj.com. That is R-U-N-F-I-T-R-A-J.com. It has all the podcasts. It has all the show notes. And there is a very useful search function as well. You can reach out to me on my social media handles, which are Running and Fitness with Raj on both Instagram and Facebook. And you can also email me on runningandfitnesswithraj at gmail.com. Please let me know if you have any questions or specific guests you would like to see on the show. I also request you all again to please subscribe to the podcast and spread the word. Please also leave a review on iTunes as it will help enormously to grow the show. We will continue to bring you exciting and interesting guests and give specific and actionable advice. Stay safe, stay healthy, and till the next show, goodbye.